0: You may open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. An imperfect man with a perfect Bible, with the prayers of the saints, and some preparation thereunto can be perfectly sufficient to teach us everything we need to know from the Word of God. Right. According to Second Timothy chapter 3. Right. We have the wisdom of heaven there for every subject that we can ever encounter in life. If we ever think we've run up on something that the Bible doesn't deal with, it's just because we don't know the Bible well enough. Right. Right. It's uh, it's not a, short, a shortness in God's delivery of truth and revealed wisdom to us. It's in our understanding and knowledge of it. Romans chapter 12. We have had wonderful, condensed statements presented to us here down through verse 12 of the 12th chapter. As the apostle has turned from what God did for us in saving us in the first 11 chapters to what we ought to do for the Lord in obeying him. The first two verses are a mandate for our faith that we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to Him. We are to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In verses 3 down through 8, we had the humility of church officers to be content with the office and role that God gave them. In verse 9, we had love and separation presented and hypocrisy condemned. In verse 10, brotherly kindness and love and preferring one before another, diligence in business in verse 11, fervency of our spirit, serving the Lord in everything we do, the hope that's been referred to preached recently in verse 12, the patience in tribulation that God sends us and continuing intensely, earnest and instant in prayer. And we come to the 13th verse. Distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality, hospitality, Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. We may not get all the way through the 15th verse, but we'll do the best we can to go as far as the Lord will allow us in the time that we have. We'll look at the 13th verse, distributing to the necessity of saints. I love the word of God. I hope it's evident in the way I preach, and I hope it's evident in my life. And I hope it's evident in yours that you love every word of the King James Bible. Amen. And that we want to defend every one of them and we understand the importance of every one of them. When I look at the six words that make up the first clause of verse 13, I try to take away any one of those words and it just corrupts the whole clause. If I, if I take away the little word to, then I have distributing the necessity of saints. That means I need to go visit every saint and find out what they have for their necessary means, that's their food and clothing and shelter and so forth, and take it away and give it to somebody else. Well, that's not the purpose of the verse. That's just by taking away the little word to. That means I would be distributing what is necessary for saints to live. But we're supposed to be distributing to the necessity of saints. And I, I just want you to appreciate every word right. of this clause. Distributing tells us to give. Necessity tells us how much. Saints tells us to whom. And it's just precious in six words. So many Christians have written me, asked me over decades of time about all the pleas that are made for sending money to Africa and other continents and countries of the world to drill wells and feed them with American food. They just keep right on having babies out in the middle of the desert and so Americans are preyed on, that's P-R-E-Y-E-D, they're not prayed, P-R-A-Y-E-D, they're preyed upon by so-called tele-evangelists and others who want to make you feel good that you've done something noble and great by giving one-tenth of one percent some little token of good that you can send off to feed some little malto meal breakfast to some little starving Biafran. Right. You know, when they love to give pictures and up-close videos of Flies crawling across eyeballs of little naked children with their bellies bloated and to make you feel entirely miserable for living in America and enjoying God's blessings on this nation and that you should redistribute your wealth to them. And so they make appeal after appeal to that. And of course, the baby killers and the parent euthanizers jump on that bandwagon and agree that we ought to do that. I hope that you understand when the paper... When the newspapers or the internet publish these big givers and their, their desires for you to give along with them, they're giving such a small portion of their income that it's hardly calculable. Second, these same people kill their own children. Third, these same people euthanize their own parents. They have no affection or love that is ordinary, that is Christian or spiritual at all. Right. It makes them feel good. Because they can give such a small amount to help others. And it makes them feel good. But the Bible doesn't care about those kind of feel-good feelings. The Bible says that the plowing of the wicked is sin. That when a wicked man goes out and plows his field, and that earth is the Lord's, and the grain is the Lord's, and the strength of the ox is the Lord's, and the John Deere tractor with the PTO coming out of the rear end of that tractor is the Lord's, because the, the witty inventions of the Lord's, That if he's not giving God the glory, it's sin to even pull a tractor across a field. But these people make us feel guilty. And the people of God don't need to feel guilty if they would read the Bible. And so we have in six words a lesson for us about Christian charity. And I hope that I can cover some of the things that you want covered and some of the things that you need covered. I've covered other things in the past, and I'll try to cover other things in the future if you feel that it's deficient. This is our living sacrifice. Verses 1 and 2 told us to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Well, when do we get sacrificial? One of the ways we get sacrificial is right here in the 13th verse by giving away some of the stuff we have to help the poor saints of God in their necessities. And that's what we want to consider. It's glorious to see what the Lord's delivered to us. And I've been asked the question so many times, I hope that you'll be established in the faith that in this verse, it is necessities, it is not toys for tots. Toys are not a necessity. It is not Christmas presents for those that don't have anything to put under their Christmas tree. The Bible doesn't teach that anywhere. The Bible condemns Christmas. Christmas is a pagan Roman Catholic, quite washed holiday. It's Christ Mass. It's a shame that Baptists would ever celebrate Christmas because they're celebrating a Mass of the Roman Catholic Church. It's on that day and the only day of the year that a Roman Catholic priest can give three Masses. He is limited at all other times to one Mass. He gives three Masses, one for the eternal generation of the Son, one for the birth of the Son, and one for the birth of the Son in your hearts. And he brings down God upon his altar and turns crackers into the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't give Christmas presents to fulfill Romans chapter 12 and verse 13. And so this burden that people want to put upon us and the false religion that exists today which which does not exalt the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and the church of Jesus Christ like it ought to, it doesn't recognize that God's made a difference between the righteous and the wicked. It doesn't recognize that God's elected some and passed over others. It doesn't recognize that there are vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. It doesn't recognize any of that. It blends it all together because we're all human. Well, what a curse that is. Amen. Who cares if we're all human? You know, are we the Lord's? And if we're the Lord's, we want to look for the Lord's people. Right. If we're of the household of faith, we want to look for the household of faith and take care of them. And so we come to this verse distributing to the necessity of saints. First of all, the lesson in the verb distributing. To distribute is to deal out or bestow in portions or shares among a number of recipients. It's to disperse or give away or share what you have. The verb means to give. Though it's limited by context, right here, necessity and saints, so the distribution is limited by two rules that God puts on it right in this clause. Yet, Christians should be givers. And they should be liberal givers. And they should be generous givers. Because, look what God has given to us. And we should reflect that in our willingness to give our things away because God gave His only begotten Son that we should be saved through Him. And if God gave His only begotten Son, we should be willing to lay down our lives for the brethren, according to 1 John chapters 3 and 4. We should be willing to do that. And Christians should be the, the most wonderful givers in the world. And it's, it's pretty easy to outgive all these big people who want to talk about their gifts Because they give such a small percentage anyway, you should check into them. They'll make a a lot of noise about the giving that they give, but there isn't a whole lot of financial accounting on the percentage of how much they give. I'm talking about worldlings. I'm talking about the Elton Johns and the Madonnas that want to get a big bandwagon going for feeding those devil-worshipping Roman Catholic savages down in Haiti. You say you're not talking very nicely about them. There isn't anything nice to say about them. You say they're human. So was Judas Iscariot. So were the Philistines, the Hittites, the Egyptians, and Pharaoh at the head of the Egyptian army. So were the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Edomites, and the rest of them. So were the Babylonians. And if I read Psalm 137 correctly, the psalmist in 137 says, we can't wait until we take Babylonian children and dash their brains out against a stone. You say, is that in the Bible? That's in the Bible. It's not from Jonathan Crosby. It's from the living God of heaven. He's made a difference among men. There's a difference between Cain and Abel. And if you want to be a friend of Cain, you're welcome to it. But you're not going to be a friend of ours. We're going to be a friend of Abel. And all those that came from Abel in the history of the world. And they're the ones we're going to take care of. They're the ones we care about. When the world wants to tell us about love, they don't know what love is. The greatest love to the worlding is love of self. And that is nothing but selfish. Narcissism. It's sickening. You already love yourself enough. We want to learn how to love others. They don't know anything about love. We know about love. They are so confused that they would describe the greatest love of all as love for yourself. The greatest love of all is God's love for His people through the Lord Jesus Christ. The next greatest love is our love for our brethren. It's not love of ourselves. That's a curse to humanity, is to love yourself. The, the, The commandment of the Savior is to learn to love others like you love yourself. Because if you can ever treat others like you already treat yourself, pampering yourself, defending yourself, then you'll be a right, good lover of the brethren. You know, the perilous times, the last days, start off with 19 symptoms of this dangerous time that we live in. And the first one is, men shall be lovers of their own selves. They don't know anything about love. We know about love because God's taught us. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 15. I, I can take you anywhere in the Bible and show you that the people of God have been givers, but they have a limited audience that they give to and they give for needs. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse seven. If there be any among you, if there be among you a poor man, Deuteronomy 15:7, "If there be among you a poor man of one of thy brethren, within any of thy gates in thy land, are you hearing the qualifications here? If there be among you a poor man of one of thy brethren within any of thy gates in thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not harden thine heart, nor shut thine hand from thy poor brother. Poor brother, but thou shalt open thine hand wide unto him, and it shalt surely lend him sufficient for his need in that which he wanteth. And that want is not what he desires, that want is what he needs. There's a difference in the word want used in the Bible, and you should understand that. Beware that there be not a thought in thy wicked heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release is at hand, and then I be evil against thy poor brother, and thou givest him not. And he cry unto the Lord against thee, and it be sin unto thee. Thou shalt surely give him... And thine heart shall not be grieved when thou givest unto him, because that for this thing the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy works, and in all that thou puttest thine hand unto. And it goes on to say the poor shall never cease out of the land. We're never going to get rid of the poor, and that's never the purpose of giving. It's because the Lord has blessed us with so much, we ought to show that same likeness, and it's for a blessing from the Lord that we give, because that passage told you that. That's one of the reasons that we give. You know, that's in Deuteronomy, in the books of Moses. If we come over to First John chapter 3... Just to look at another extreme, and there's plenty of passages in between, this is what we can read. 1 John three sixteen. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? God showed his love, and we better show our love. And that's been taught plenty of times in this church. I've committed myself to at least once a quarter to preach about brotherly love in some way, shape, or form, and you may not recognize it sometimes, but I do get my commitment done to you, and that is that we care about the brethren. And so that is pushed upon us by the word of God. It's the number one duty emphasized the most in the epistles of the New Testament, and that's to be loving toward one another. And so I preach it, and I teach it. And here we have it displayed. Because if you don't give something that actually costs you, your love doesn't mean anything. Just saying, I love the brethren, doesn't prove anything. It's not meaningful to God. It's opening your hand wide. And it's opening your hand wide when you have thoughts to the contrary. Back there in Deuteronomy 15, every seventh year there was a year of release. So that if you loaned somebody something, they got to keep it at the seventh year. And so if they came to you in the sixth year and said, You know, I need to borrow this. Oh, you're thinking about the calendar. All you can see is a calendar and you're doing some quick calculations. This thing is worth 10,000 to me. And if I loan it to him and he doesn't give me back, give it back in three months, it's going to be the year of release. He gets to keep it. What does the Lord say about all that calculating? You're a fool and a sinner. Open your hand wide. I'll take care of the piece of capital equipment that you may have loaned your poor neighbor. Because the Lord can outgive anyone, and the Lord can certainly outgive a poor man giving back what you gave him in the first place. And so the Bible told us don't think that way, open your hand wide and give. In first John chapter three, it's God gave his son, we ought to give of the stuff that we have if we're to look anything like God giving to us. And it's throughout the Bible. Jehovah's religion provides for the poor. Jehovah's religion requires giving. Jehovah's religion blesses giving. Jehovah's living exemplifies giving. It teaches giving. Romans 12, 13 is not a ministerial text. It's a text for the whole church. It applies to every church member, though it ends up being overseen, for the larger part, by church officers. Christian charity is overseen by God's ministers to ensure proper qualifying for charity and equitable distribution so that it's distributed fairly. Look at Acts chapter 4. Let's just get a few examples of this. This isn't because pastors want to be in charge of everything. It's because God wants pastors to be in charge of the distribution of Christian charity for the larger part. I have taught in the past that for small amounts that you want to give individual brethren, go ahead and do it, but it better be small. Because if you violate that, then we end up defeating the purpose of and the priority, and the limitations of God's Word. Charity is not an individual thing for every man to run around willy-nilly, just doing things on his own. Because then people that may not qualify for charity get charity. People that need a certain thing, or a certain amount, may get several times that. Some people may be overlooked. You may get credit that you don't deserve. There's a whole host of reasons. And if you need a men's meeting to go over them all again... I'll be happy to do that so that we all stay on the same page. And I understand the questions that do come up. Small amounts, I've said very clearly, go ahead and distribute, do whatever you want to. But for the large jobs that we need to do, we should do it as a church because that's what the Bible teaches. For the reasons that I just gave, and I gave them very quickly. But you should be able to think, you know, if everybody ran around willy-nilly, every man doing that which is right in his own eyes, man, there'd be no rules or limitations or qualifying or anything being done. It'd be a mess. That's right. And so God has his system in place. And the system in place was first the apostles, but when it got to be too much for them because the church got too large, they had deacons for the job. And it was a business to fairly distribute the income of the revenue of the church to the widows so that the Grecians could not argue against the Hebrews that one set of widows was being taken care of better than another set. They were over the business and the church was the one that picked them so that the church would have no argument. Okay, those are the seven men we picked and that's how they distributed. We settle for that. That's good enough for us. But Acts chapter 4 verse 32. I understand those questions that come up and I want you to have the liberty that when your heart is moved and you want to go do something on a small scale for someone, go do it. But that is not how the majority of charity is to be done in a New Testament church. It's to be overseen and done orderly. And that should make so much sense to you and you should appreciate the word of God for one more reason. Verse 32, Acts chapter 4, The multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And With great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked. Well, how did the stuff get moved from one person to another? For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles feet and distribution was made into every man according as he had need. There's oversight. It's very simple. How they have all things common The people that had more stuff, sold their stuff, brought the money, gave it to the apostles and the apostles gave it to the poor that deserved it and needed it. And so that's how it was common among all men. They had everything they needed because the rich took care of the poor but it was done at the feet of the apostles. And that's how the distribution was made. See, we have the word distribution in Romans 12, 13. Is that every man doing that which is right in his own eyes? Nope. All you got to do is read the rest of the New Testament and find out how it was done. If you own something, you're the one that had to sell it. Listen, whose name's on the deed? Can an apostle go sell what you owned? Could an apostle take what Barnabas owned in the land of Cyprus and sell it? No, you had to go do that. So then you brought the money because it was no longer in a deed with a name on it, and you just gave the cash to the apostles, and the apostles made distribution. Well, we're about to read that verse. It's verse 36 in Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of Consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, brought the money, laid it at the apostles' feet. And then it goes on to describe Ananias and Sapphira in the first 11 verses of chapter 5. Peter told Ananias... While you had that property property, Ananias, you did not have to dispose of it. It was in your power, it was in your authority. But once you brought it to our feet, why did you lie to the Holy Ghost? The Bible is not communistic. Right. All communism means is that in short order we will all be poor and there will be no rich to bail out the poor. Because it takes away all motive for men with ability and ambition to make the money to take care of the poor that either by acts of God or other reasons end up with very little. You need a capitalistic, laissez-faire, free market type of system, which is what the Bible had in both Testaments and teaches. And it teaches right here. When Paul taught Timothy about dealing with the rich in the churches, he said, and we're going to get to this passage, First Timothy chapter 6, tell them to be ready to distribute and willing to communicate. He didn't tell them they had to redistribute their wealth to everyone. He just said, be willing. They should have a spirit of being givers. So that when there's a need, they're there. Acts chapter 5, you know, Ananias and Sapphira copied Barnabas, and they brought it and laid it at the apostles' feet, but it wasn't the whole amount, and you know that whole event. Acts chapter 6 is the fact that there was a complaining, in verse 1 of Acts chapter 6, of the widows of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because the Grecian widows were being neglected, it appeared to the Grecians. Now remember, we had a split church. We had Jews and we had Gentiles. And the Gentiles thought that because the apostles were all Jews, that their widows were not being properly cared for. And the apostles said, listen, we are sick and tired of hearing all this complaining. We're going to appoint men and you're going to pick them and we're going to uh, uh, ordain them. And they're going to be deacons to take care of this business. So they gave the qualifications for deacons. The church picked the deacons. And they had seven of them at this particular church, and this church could have had 50,000 members, if you read the first few chapters of Acts well enough to know that it was a very large church. And so their widows were taken care of. That's what deacons are supposed to do, is to do things like that to distract the, the men of God from the Word of God and from prayer. But notice Acts 4, Acts 5, Acts 6, and whatever you read about giving taking place, that giving was under the oversight of, of apostles or deacons. And so we want to remember that. That it's that it's it's done under the oversight of God's ministers who have a commitment by their office to be very careful and not showing any partiality. Because right. the warnings of partiality to ministers are very severe so that it's done equitably and fairly to all. Right. You know, there's rules for giving. Even if you think about widows. You know, it was recently that I preached 14, the 14 verses of 1 Timothy 5.3 to 1 Timothy 5.16. Even such a noble cause as a widow. And the Bible teaches supporting widows throughout. Helping widows. Visiting the fatherless and the widows. God's the God of the fatherless and the widows. But even when it comes to a widow, there was a very specific, severe list of qualifications that had to be met in 1 Timothy 5.3-16. And it was not written to a church, it was written to a bishop. And that bishop was to enforce the fact that widows were not supposed to be supported unless they met these qualifications. And so it's a ministerial oversight. That's all I want to deal with on that for right now. I hope I said enough to comfort your minds to a degree. Distribution in a church is public by officers assigned to formally oversee it. Money went to the apostles and then they distributed it so that the church had coverage for all the needs that were there if you go back to Acts chapter 2 which is the day of Pentecost and we have a little concluding statement at the end of Acts chapter 2 about what the church was like in Jerusalem Acts two forty four, and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need now see there it doesn't mention apostles there it doesn't mention deacons but guess what They are the middlemen, even here, in these verses. It was not done willy-nilly. It was not done, as every man thought, right in his own eyes, because the rest of the the book of Acts tells us how it was done. It's just summarizing it here, that the needs were taken care of, that for the basic necessities, they had all things common. They had everything provided for. They had shelter, they had food, they had clothing, they had emergency medical care, whatever they needed, because this was a unique situation where men had come to Jerusalem, were there for Pentecost, and all of a sudden they were converted. They didn't really want to go home in a hurry. And so the Lord took care of them through the church being full of the Holy Ghost and wanting to give, and give they did. The church grew large enough for it to require a special officer in order to take care of the revenues, in order to distribute it to the, the widows. If you come over to Second Corinthians chapter 8, where the Apostle Paul has two chapters in his epistle to the Corinthians, about giving. Second Corinthians chapter 8. We have a poor saints fund. If we had a legitimate need of a significant size, then we would use the poor saints fund. We use the poor saints fund from time to time. You should look at the church statement. If you need to ask questions, go ahead and ask questions about how we use the Poor Saints Fund. Little things that you want to do for those in the church that may have had a bad week or something bad happened to them and you just want to show some extra charity and kindness to them, go ahead and do it. But that's the line that we've drawn in the past and that's as scriptural as I know how to be. And still give you some liberty to show kindness and to let your family possibly participate in that kindness and yet us practice what is scriptural so that things are done justly, fairly, and rightly as measured by scripture and is measured by those would have, that have the best view of the whole church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I want you to notice that when the Apostle Paul is soliciting money from the New Testament churches, it's under very careful ministerial oversight. 2 Corinthians 8, 18. Now ver- chapter 8 and chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians are all about giving. And the Philippian church up there in Macedonia gave first and best considering their poverty. They were a poor church. The Corinthian church was rich, and Paul's using the example of the Macedonian church, or the Philippi church, to encourage them and exhort them. And so he has men coming to Corinth to collect. Yeah, he has collectors. And they're going to come and collect what the Corinthians should have raised by now. Second Corinthians 8.18, And we have sent with him the brother whose praises in the gospel. Titus is the one that's been mentioned so far whose praises in the gospel throughout all the churches, and not that only, but who was also chosen of the churches to travel with us with this grace. See, it's one of the gifts of grace of Romans 12, the first eight verses. The gift of giving, the gift of distributing, distributing money to other churches. With this grace, which is administered by us. Notice, there's administration to giving in the Bible. Which is administered by us to the glory of the same Lord and declaration of your ready mind. Avoiding this, that no man should blame us in this abundance which is administered by us. There's administration, named again, that no man can blame us because look at how we're doing it. We've sent this man with the man that Titus is already coming. We've sent this man who everyone, all the churches know about because we want to provide for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent with them, because now it's plural, Our brother, whom we have oftentimes proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent upon the great confidence which I have in you. Whether any do inquire of Titus, he is my partner and fellow helper concerning you. Or our brethren, plural, be inquired of, they are the messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. That's authority and that's administration. Those are officers fulfilling Romans 12, verses 3 through 8, and the gift of distributing and giving and showing mercy to other churches. And notice Paul's praising of these men for the Corinthians to feel comfortable that they could take a 100000 from their church revenues or whatever the amount was and give it to these men who are going to get on ships and make way for Judea to take care of the poor saints in Judea. And this is the way the Bible talks throughout. Now if you want to sew a coat and your name is Dorcas, guess what you can do? You don't have to sew the coat and bring it to the apostles and lay it at the apostles' feet and let the apostle put the coat on somebody. Just go ahead and sew a coat. But when it comes to large amounts of money, it's under the administration of God's officers. Right. I don't want to Look at First Timothy chapter 6. Distributing. Christians ought to be liberal givers. First Timothy chapter 6. This is a powerful passage. This morning, I read to you from Matthew chapter 7 that said that if you hear and keep the sayings of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are building your house upon a rock. If you hear and do not keep the sayings of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are building your house upon the sand. And this is a metaphor. Your house is your life. The storm is the great day of judgment. Do you mean in the great day of judgment that hearing the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ and doing them Like in giving, I'll have a good foundation to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ? Absolutely yes. Amen. Amen. In Matthew chapter 25, with the sheep on his right hand the goats on his left, what is the deciding difference between the two? Is Is it sheep? Thank you for inviting me into your hearts. Goats? Why didn't you invite me into your hearts? Is that in Matthew 25? Not at all. Sheep. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was naked, you clothed me. Lord, when did we ever do anything like that? In that you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Right. Can you see the saints? Mm-hmm. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. You want to, know, you want to hear the goats? Lord. Lord. Have we not prophesied in thy name? And he'll say, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me drink. When I was naked, you didn't clothe me. When did we ever see you that way? Inasmuch as you didn't do it to one of the least of these, my brethren. I want to tell you right now, you about ready to get up out of your seat and go find some lowly brother in this church and hug him and slip a couple hundred bucks in his pocket and say, take your family out, to eat at a nice restaurant this afternoon. Let's do it right now. Listen, if the Word of God has any effect on you, it should affect us that way. Every single one of us that way. You say, well, that's above and beyond the necessities because all the necessities have been covered in our church. Yeah, of course, in our system. Oh, I don't want to get off track too much. In, we live in a, in a situation where the nation and the church are separate. Israel, the church, and the nation were one. You are taxed. You are taxed to take care of the poor in a lot of the ways that poor are taken care of. So you are giving through the channels of the government, though they're separate. Just like Israel gave by, they were called tithes, but they were in effect taxes. In effect. to cover. Do you understand that? We've pulled them apart in America, and we're thankful that we've pulled them apart, because if we hadn't pulled them apart, and there wasn't separation of church and state, I can promise you one thing. The National Church of the United States would not be Baptist churches like the Church of Greenville. So, we like separation of church and state for that reason. But because they've been pulled apart, we're paying our taxes. The the minimum necessities of our members are taken care of by the government. If If a person is wise, they can go get help. And we're paying for it because we go to work and we pay our taxes. We in this church, that's the minimum. If in this church something happens to a brother that puts him in a bind, puts him in a squeeze, or you want to do something nice for them, go ahead and do it. That's the minimum the Bible teaches. That's all that can be required of a church is the basic necessities because that is what is taught throughout the scriptures. That is all that can be required. If we want to give extra beyond that, or if you want to give extra beyond that, then you are a liberal man devising liberal things. If you only did what was required of you, there would be no place for Isaiah 32 and verse 8 in the Bible. And that's a liberal man devising liberal things. And What does it say in that verse? I gave it to you repeatedly a number of months ago because I love that verse. I want to be in that verse. Way to go, Orville. You just bless my heart. And by those liberal things shall he stand. Because look at First Timothy 6, which confirms it exactly. That's Isaiah 32, 8. I just gave you the illustration of Matthew 25, 31-46. As horrible as the great day of judgment is presented in the Bible, it is that merciful, it is that comfortable. When the Lord Jesus Christ, He is the fairest judge ever. He will not overlook a single thing you have ever done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for one of the saints of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is, are you willing to go to that judgment seat? I am willing to go. Let us work out our salvation with fear and trembling, and let us work out our salvation with rejoicing and hope, fervency of spirit, and liberality in giving right. because when we get there, he is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love. he's going to remember every single thing you do. is he going to remember a cup of cold water to a disciple in a disciple's name? Is that wonderful? Is that a judge that you want? you know you don't have to go in there with a dossier all worked up, hoping that he'll turn to you and say. What do you have to say for yourself? And then you're just going to spiel out all these things that you've done? No, 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 no. The righteous are just going to stand there and wonder why they're on the right side. And the Lord's going to make all the difference. Amen. And the Lord's going to describe what they did. Yes. Brethren, let's go to a day when we're on our bed and we're curling up as death clutches at us and we're sinking into the abyss of confusion and pain and death. Let's go there having been liberal givers, distributing because of verses that I've just given you. Isaiah 32, 8, Matthew 25, 31 through 46, and right now, 1 Timothy chapter 6, 17. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. Don't you get puffed up about your riches? We're going to have a verse in Romans 12 that says condescend to men of low estate. You get down off your high horse. Everything that you have, God gave it to you. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good. This is what the rich should do. That they do good. That they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. That is a perfect cross-reference to Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, where it describes a man building his house on a rock or upon the sand. We do not buy our way into heaven by giving. We do not earn our way into heaven by charitable giving. But charitable giving is the evidence of eternal life. It changes a man when a man is willing to fork over his money to poor brethren in a church simply for the sake that they are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ it shows a change in character. And that change in character is the evidence of eternal life. That's four passages I've given you. There's many more. Did you read Psalm 112 last night? Will his righteousness endure forever? What is his righteousness? He gives to the poor. You say, but we need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Of course, you need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Of course. Of course, your name in the book of life is what gets you into heaven. But the evidence of it is what the Lord brings out in these passages in order to encourage you and provoke you and exhort you and move you to these acts of righteousness. What's one of the strongest measures he could ever give you? Is listing That is the evidence of eternal life that's even accounted for in the day of judgment by the judge himself. That should encourage you. That's why it's listed. Of course we only get into heaven by the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. But our righteousness has a very important role and place in it. That's the evidence of his righteousness. Why does 1 John say, He that is right, he that doeth righteousness is righteous? That's how we show it. And this is an exciting way to show it. Is this win win? In the Christian religion? When you give for somebody else to have something nice and to lift them up a little bit, do you win for the giving? Well, it's that let me ask it this way who wins most? The giver. Acts twenty thirty five. The Apostle Paul taught in the red writing because he was quoting the Lord Jesus Christ, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Do they win? Yes, because they get something they didn't have. Everybody wins. Does the Lord Jesus Christ win? Yes, because the person receiving offers up extra praise and thanksgiving and glory to God for what was given to them. Everybody wins. The Lord Jesus Christ is glorified because God gave his Son for us, and we're laying down our lives for the brethren. Have I taught you in this church that the most important reason to go to work is to have some extra to give to others? Why in the world would you just want to go to work to get something extra nice for yourself? For those of you that have bought some nice things for yourself, after you use it a couple times, is it all that exciting? You want to share it. I'm not a very good husband in this respect. Whenever Sherry and I are having a nice meal alone, after a few minutes, I'll say to her, wouldn't this be a whole lot better if we had some other of our brethren with us? And she'll say, the computer widow, my wife is a computer widow. She'll say, well, I thought it was pretty nice. Just the two of us sitting here. But, you know, we ought to have that. I want to share it. If it's good, it's good enough to be shared. Look at those verses. Wow. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come. You know, if somebody jumped in and just heard a paragraph of this sermon, they would think I was preaching you could buy your way into heaven. But they haven't listened to the rest of what we've preached about the second Adam and the first Adam. and We certainly don't believe that. We believe we need the second Adam with the evidence for eternal life. And I love all these passages because God has given us an understanding of how they all fit together perfectly. But if you don't have this giving spirit, if you don't love to give away your money, if you don't love to do something nice for other people while you may not be enjoying that yourself, then when you meet the Lord Jesus Christ, what side are you going to be on? If you're stingy, okay, that's distributing. You know, there was a rich young ruler that came to the Lord Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ said, keep the, keep the commandments. He said, I've kept them all from my youth up. One thing, one thing you've overlooked, sell all that you have and give to the poor and come follow me. Oh, that hurt. He turned and walked away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let there be anybody in here that does that today. Amen. Right. Let's be excited about it. If you want to make yourself an opportunity, then why don't you, uh, not right now, but to just take a church directory, go through it, who has the least, who could I do something for, who could use a little pick-me-up right now, go pick them up. Don't think that what I just taught in the last excessive number of minutes about ministerial oversight of giving hinders you from giving. Right, right. You say, well, I want to do something bigger than I can afford, and maybe the church ought to do it, then bring it. Bring your idea. Bring your idea. Look at this clause back in Romans 12, 13. Romans chapter 12. Oh, giving should be exciting. Giving is an evidence of eternal life. Giving makes you look like God because God gave His Son for us. Giving is win, win, win. It's wonderful. The liberal soul. And we say liberal souls, we're not talking about politics. We're talking about generosity. From Isaiah chapter 32 and verse 8 distributing to the necessity necessity limits the distribution to legitimate needs. As God defines them in his charity manual called the Bible, the Bible has defined rules for charitable giving because Christianity is not at all. Communism. Communism is from every, from every man, according to his ability to every man, according to his needs. What they mean is everybody goes to work and everything you earn is put into a pool and it's distributed equally to everyone. All that does is take away the incentive of all those with ability and ambition to make a lot of money. because those that God has given a great deal of ability, drive ambition to can make more, and they will risk their capital to make even yet more that will employ others. And so we have the Soviet Union where people live you know near poverty, everybody lives near poverty level, except for a few mafioso. And we have America where you can do much differently because it's closely aligned, more closely aligned to what the Bible describes. Right. You know, the rich weren't told, distribute everything you have. They were told to be willing to distribute, right. ready to communicate, ready. Like Paul told the Corinthians, you should be ready so that when a need count comes up, like the poor saints in Judea, you have a check to write, and you will write it. Not that you have to right off the bat. You know, the Bible didn't say for masters if they they were called or converted as Christians to become slaves. You were to stay in the role God gave you. Remember 1 Corinthians 7? I went over that with you recently in verses 17 through 20. Whatsoever uh, vocation a man is called in, whatever calling he's in when he's converted by the Lord Jesus Christ, he should stay in that calling. The Bible's very specific about the needs that are to be met by charitable giving. We do not distribute all of a rich man's riches to the poor until everyone has the same balance sheet. Now, of course, the poor want that to happen because they're lazy and they want somebody else to work hard for them. Ordinarily, ordinarily, I'm not picking on the poor. If you were to ask a poor man, what do you think of the idea of the rich selling all that they have, putting it in a pool, and dividing it up with us? Well, like every union mentality in the country, I like that idea. But what happens? There's a total breakdown of society and no one's going to have a job and everyone's going to starve to death. Just go ask Mao's, about Mao's experience in China. Why don't you go read about the famine in China when Mao Zedong was in charge of that country and the millions and millions that starved to death in that country by trying something like that. When you take away the incentive for a man to, to plant his fields or to plant his rice or to raise his fish, when you take away that incentive, then he's not going to do it like he otherwise would if his belly depended upon it. Does the book of Proverbs teach us that every man works for his belly? Then you've got to let him get hungry. You can't be taking from a man who's working for some other motive and give it to this man because then his belly's going to be full and he's not going to work. I don't want to talk about any of that stuff, really. I hope you all understand that and know it. Christian charity does not try to artificially create equality in income or assets like communism, but the rich are allowed, fully allowed to remain rich. Job remained rich. He didn't give away everything he had. No, and the book of Job is a list of, the the book of Job includes Job making a list of different things he did that were acts of righteousness before God. And it included making the widow's heart to sing and putting warm fleece on, on orphan children. It says those things, but nowhere does it say, I sold all my flocks and herds and sold all my real estate holdings and just gave it to UNICEF. Nowhere is that found in the Bible. UNICEF isn't a Christian organization and a Christian giving any money to UNICEF, he better make sure that he's already followed the four things that he should have done with his money. And that is he should have taken care of the poor in his family, the poor in his church, the poor in other churches of like precious faith, and then the poor that God puts directly in his path in his ordinary course of business. Those are the four objects of charity right there. There are no more. Bible charity is limited in the Bible, limited in what what the requirement is. What you must out of necessity provide for is food, clothing, shelter, or life-threatening medical treatment. It's not luxury, it's not pleasure, privileges, support, toys, Christmas presents, or any other such nonsense. That's what's required. If in a situation like ours, where we're giving through our taxes and we're giving through the church, and you see something that you'd like to do for someone else in an act of charity, then go ahead and devise your liberal thing. If it's a large liberal thing, then bring it and run it through the church. Have I said enough? Please nod some heads up and down just to give me a little freedom. I'm chain shackled and the clock is beating me. And I have 38 strokes already. There's verses that can support all that, and I've preached it before. If you want to look at an interesting outline on this subject, it's to go, it, go to our website and type in Haiti, and it will bring up that document that we preached several years ago. Let's look at the last word of this clause, distributing to the necessity of saints. This is shocking. This is shocking. When a person really understands what this verse is saying. Distributing to the necessity of saints. Of saints. Of saints. I don't care what James Robinson does on television by showing flies crawling across a child's eyes. Saints. It's the word of the Lord. It's not my word. And we're going to show that from the Bible. God's chosen this out of this world. We're strangers and pilgrims here. Our primary duties are to the household of faith, not to the worldlings around us. The Christian order of charity. Now, I just said it once, three minutes ago. Here, I'm going to say it again. The poor in your family. 1 Timothy chapter 5. If a man doesn't provide for his own, he's worse than an infidel and has denied the faith. The poor in your church. Your own poor brethren that you see face to face, so you're supposed to be considering them to know who has a need. Third, the poor in other churches of like precious faith, and that's the charity that was raised in the New Testament that is discussed so much from one church to another, particularly the Gentile churches to the churches of Judea that were persecuted severely and where there were famines and the poor and the poor saints were starving, and that's when the apostle said, "You have reaped their spiritual things because they sent us apostles to you." they should be able to reap your carnal things by you sending some money back to them. And so it was, it was a good trade. And they took care of each other that way. But it was always to poor saints which just brings thoughts to mind that are overwhelmingly different from what most pastors and pulpits preach about giving. There is nothing in the Bible to go out in the community and find homeless people living under a bridge and giving them money. Nothing in the Bible to ever suggest that right. nothing in the Bible to go to an orphanage unless it's an orphanage of a church that has little children in it of like precious faith right. that are called saints the church is charitable toward each other you look at look at Acts chapter 11 Acts chapter 11 in the old in all your reading of the Old Testament which was three quarters of the Bible In all your reading of the Old Testament, did they ever take up a collection for the Philistine orphanages? The Hittite brothels? The Egyptian jails? No? Never? None. This isn't Jonathan Crosby being hard. This is the God of the Bible being wise. It's not hard. It's just wise. We give to the Lord's people. We give to saints, distributing to the necessity of saints. Just think about this passage. Acts chapter 11 and verse 27, and we are in Antioch of Syria, which is 300, 400 miles north of Jerusalem. You know, Syria lies north of Israel to this day. Acts eleven twenty-seven. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And there stood up one of them named Agabus. And signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world. A famine. Terrible famine. A great dearth. Which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. Which also they did, and sent it to the elders... By the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Were there any starving people in Antioch of Syria? Were there starving people in Syria? Were there starving people in Samaria between Syria and Judea? Yes, 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 yes. And we could keep asking questions until we ran out of moisture in our mouth for all the yeses. But where did they send their money? To the brethren in Judea. Were there other unbelievers in Judea? Did they send their money, be, did they send their money to the brethren in Judea because they were Jews? Or did they send their money to the brethren in Judea because they were brethren? brethren. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. This is repeated over and over and over again in the scriptures of our God. We are a separate people. We are strangers and pilgrims in this world and we take care of the other strangers and pilgrims in this world. We do not take care of our persecutors. We will bless our persecutors and we will not curse them. But we do not take care of them like we take care of poor brethren. The famine was throughout all the world, the Bible tells us, but the disciples did not worry about starving pagans. There wasn't a thing mentioned about them. Here is fundraising and charitable giving identified very clearly for your learning in such cases. Money was sourced from saints in Syria to help saints in Judea ignoring the starving Syrians. Money was raised in this passage from Syria to help saints in Judea, ignoring unbelieving Jews. Jerusalem was three hundred miles south. Look at Romans fifteen twenty-five. Just for there's there's many examples of this. It's for the poor saints. I love that little six word clause: distributing to the necessity of saints. Says it all. Should we be distributors? Yes. Should we be liberal distributors? Yes. For what? Make sure all their necessities are covered. That's a requirement. and show them some liberal kindness. Who? The saints? In six words. Romans chapter 15, verse 25. "But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints, for it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia. Who's Achaia? What church? Corinth. That's what second Corinthians eight and nine are about, this right here, this collection. Philippi and Macedonia started it, Corinth and Achaia added to it to make a certain contribution for the for the are you really looking at your Bibles? For the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. These two churches were excited about the giving, and they they deserved they should have been giving, because they were debtors, for if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. This is fruit. This is fruitfulness of the Christian life when you give like they determined to give in this particular case, which was different than Acts chapter 11. Obviously, there were poor orphans and poor widows at all times in these foreign cities and nations. Obviously, there were poor orphans and widows at all times in the destination nations. Weren't there? But it was always for the poor saints. So when you watch all that advertising and you watch all those social do-gooders, just remember, we stick to the Word of God. Were we going to jump on the Madonna bandwagon along with Elton John protecting the Sodomites of New Orleans? Did we send some money? I hope you can remember. Did we send some money to help the act of God Katrina some primitive Baptist churches that were destroyed. Do you remember? Okay. Would we have the Indonesian tsunami? Just couldn't find any Christian churches in that part of the world. We would have. We could have. But otherwise, we're limited to the poor saints because the Word of God is. They're the ones that we want to help. Mm -hmm. Because, see, the poor are never going to go away. And if the church at Philippi and the church at Corinth had decided, let's take care of all the orphans and widows that are in Macedonia and Achaia, the provinces in which they dwell, there wouldn't have been a cent left for anybody. Because the world has so much poor. But when the Lord takes care of us, we're supposed to take care of one another in the household of faith, is the Bible explanation, the Bible terminology for it. Under neither testament did God's people give charity to pagans, which is shocking information and news to most people who haven't read their Bible with understanding. Though ten plagues ravaged the nation of Egypt on the way out, did the people give a donation to take care of them? Not hardly? Or did they ask? They They borrowed everything they could from their neighbors. Not a single precept in all the law of Moses to send any contributions to UNICEF. Did Jesus Christ once deny help to a Canaanite woman because the children not, not to give their bread to dogs? Was that based on a principle that was true? But did he show mercy? Because she had come all the way to his feet begging help? Yes. The bag that was carried by the apostles of our Lord had to have been for the poor saints in Israel, not the starving children in Ethiopia, for he was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, which was the church of God under the old covenant. Romans twelve thirteen. What do we walk away from this passage with? I don't want you to walk away from just the fact that we resent the Madonna and Elton John bandwagon and we resent the James Robinson bandwagon. That's a televangelist that begs money for every conceivable idea of helping starving people in Africa. I don't want to just for us to think about we've been delivered from that because we see scriptures that tell us that it's not the emphasis of the churches of Jesus Christ. I want us to walk away from this passage excited about being liberal givers and liberal lovers of our brethren. Saved from the bondage of the world's poor, we should be liberal distributors to those that God has approved. Let's not just be thankful that God has told us you don't have to give here, you don't have to give there, and my people have never given here or there. We want to see where God's people have given, and we want to be at the forefront of the giver's. We want the Lord Jesus Christ to say in that day that we fed him when he was hungry, we gave him drink when he was thirsty, we clothed him when he was naked, we visited him when he was in the hospital or when he was in prison because we did it to the least of these, our brethren. So when there is an opportunity like that to serve, when when a brother in this church is moving, an example, moving, and he doesn't have ten sons, you should show up. Or if you're older and you have some young bucks in your house, Give them an extra 400 calories that morning and send them. Right. That's how you can serve. That's how you can do something nice. Uh, many hands make a task light. You're showing brotherly kindness that way. You're saving him. You could rent him the truck. Why don't you go to U-Haul or Ryder and rent him the bu- or budget and rent him a truck? There's all kinds of things you can do to help brethren. Giving in faith is proof of eternal life. We've looked at some of those verses. If you read Psalm 112 last night... Psalm 112 should light you up. Psalm 112 should be the goal for your life. Psalm 112 is the man that fears the Lord. Every woman and girl in here should want to marry a man that fits Psalm 112. Every man wants to marry a woman that fits Proverbs 31. But I gave you Psalm 112 last night because that's what a girl should look for. She wants somebody that fits Psalm 112. That's the best short description of a perfect man. Psalm 112. And he gives. And his righteousness endureth forever. And God blesses him and his seed. That's the kind of man you want to get attached to and grab a hold of his coattails because you're going to go places with him in the sight of God and the sight of men. That was Psalm 112. It's easy to sing, Oh, how I love Jesus. But it's so much better to put your money where your mouth is. And the Lord knows that. That's why he said what he said in first John chapters three and four. I gave my, how do we perceive the love of God? How do we perceive the love of God? Because it says in Romans 5.8, but God commendeth His love toward us? No. How do we perceive the love of God? Because God said that He loves us? Because He gave His Son. What did it cost Him? What did He give for us? That's how we perceive the love of God. That's how we discern it, measure it, comprehend it by what He gave. He truly loves me. He gave His Son. How do we show the brethren that we truly love them? We give. It's not just words. It's giving. Then they know. And that's why it's worded the way it is in First John. Amen. I hope that no one will expect charity by this text because that's wrong and selfish and sinful. If you're listening to any of this preaching and you're thinking, I should be getting more from this church, may God judge you before the sun sets because of your wickedness. Amen. I despise those kind of people. They are leeches on society. Our nation is breeding them and they sneak into the churches of Christ. When I preach on a message like this, no one in here should be thinking not even one thought, not even for one second, I hope I should be getting more out of this church than I'm getting. Never does a Christian respond that way. There is no evidence that you will ever stand at the right hand of Jesus Christ if you ever have that thought cross your mind. Because the... the. The disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ are only thinking one direction, giving, serving, loving like their Savior. Their Savior did not come to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. You say, but I'm poor, so I'm expecting people to give me stuff. No, you're not. I want to remind you about a widow woman in the, in the church. Right. A widow woman in Luke chapter 21. A widow woman. She did not go to the temple like this. She did not go to the temple with her hands out. I've only got two mites. That's all I've got left in the whole world. Look at all you rich people. What are you going to give me? I've only got two mites. Because she wasn't like that spirit that I'm describing at all right now. She went to the church humbly and went over to the treasury and pulled out her two little mites and pitched them in and went home to fall down on her knees and say, Blessed God, you gave me all that you had, your only begotten son. I've just given you all that I have. Give me this stay my daily bread. Right. And that's a Christian. And if you don't have that kind of an attitude, you have misunderstood everything I've said, and your soul is in danger. Because anyone else that's a child of God, here's preaching like this, all they want to do is figure out somebody where they can go give something. We should always want to be giving. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. May we fulfill these verses. May we build a foundation for the day to come. These are the things that God has revealed to us and to our children. Let's keep every word of this law. Let's be liberal givers. Let's be generous givers. I'm not talking about the pastor. I'm not talking about the oxbots. I'm talking about the poor saints. Let's take care of them in every way that we can. Let's love one another indeed and in truth. And may Jesus Christ be praised. Amen. Amen.